Parables. We've been talking a lot about parables during the uh, summer, summer mixtape series that was started a while ago. It's, it's felt like, like a relay, a relay race. You know, Pastor Greg started off the relay, handed off the baton to Pastor Greg. We had a few elders come in to talk about like, um, Roland and Peter and even Norm to talk about different parables. Uh, I don't know if you've been following the series. And today, the baton has been handed to me to continue the relay race. This is, this is the last leg, so I hope I don't drop the baton. So parables remind me a lot about mashed potatoes and gravy. <laughs> I like food a lot. Some of you know I sell food. <laughs> so just as mashed potatoes taste much better with good gravy, um, it's also a lot easier to understand some of the teachings of Jesus that he explained with parables. So today we shall be reading from Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27. The parable of the ten miners. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king, and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minors. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and he returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your miner. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest. Then he said to those standing by, Take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. This parable that we just read is loaded with many themes and lessons. There are so many things in that parable. We can learn about stewardship. In that same parable, we can learn about the coming of God's kingdom. 
The parable also tells us about the concept of risk and reward. We can learn about fear. And we can also learn about productivity, obedience, respect for constituted authority, and so on and so forth. Uh, we really cannot unpack everything in one session. So for the purpose of today's message, I'll just focus on three key takeaways. So our first takeaway from this passage is how it reinforces the message that the kingdom of God is coming, but no one knows when. We all know as Christians that the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus is coming back, but we don't know when. The parable was shared by Jesus as he made his way to Jerusalem. Now remember that when Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem, he was actually making his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. Now, Jesus was fully aware of his fate. He knew what lay ahead of him at Jerusalem. He knew when he got to Jerusalem, he would be crucified and buried. He also knew that he would rise on the third day. And he knew he was going to ascend, ascend to heaven where he would remain until his triumphant second coming to establish his kingdom. However, several of his followers at that time, they did not know this. Several of the disciples people that were following Christ and listening to his teachings at that time, they thought that the kingdom of God will actually be established as soon as Jesus entered Jerusalem. So he needed to warn them ahead of time. And the New Living Translation of this passage, Luke 19.17 says, 19.11, it says, says that because he was nearing Jerusalem, they were getting close to Jerusalem, Jesus told them a story. Why did he tell them that story? To correct the impression that the kingdom will begin right away. To set the tone, to correct the impression that the kingdom will begin right away. That's why I told them the parable. And in chapter 12, the parable opens with the description of a, of a nobleman who was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then to return. That's very similar to what is going to happen very soon when they get to Jerusalem. He will be called away, killed and crucified, for him to return ascend and then return one day at the, at the resurrection. So we can draw some parallels between this nobleman and Jesus, who would soon ascend to heaven and someday return to establish his kingdom. In this story, we can liken Jesus to the nobleman, and we can also liken the distant empire to the heavens to which Jesus would ascend after his resurrection. And the return can be likened to the second coming of Jesus Christ. However, the parable was silent on how long the nobleman will stay at the distant empire. The same way Jesus is also silent on how long he will remain in heaven before his triumphant second coming. We don't know that gap. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 36 that about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So what do we do to be sure we are ready for the second coming? The answer lies in yet another parable. In the parable of the ten virgins, the very last verse, Matthew 25, 36, admonishes us to do what? To keep watch, for we do not know the day or the how. So now that we have established the fact of his second coming, we will consider another takeaway from this parable. 
Uh, while waiting for God's kingdom, we must be productive. While waiting for God's kingdom, we must be productive. Now, this parable, this, this second takeaway reminds me of when we fire up our barbecue, maybe at a barbecue grill or a party. Another reference to food, pardon me. You know how the ribs are probably the, like the, the crown jewel, but while waiting for the ribs to be done, we want the grill to be productive. So we'll put some hot dogs, we'll put some corn, you know, things that, you know, quick wins. While waiting for the kingdom, we must be productive. So Luke 19, 13 tells us that he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minors. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. I will be back, but while I'm away, use these resources and utilize them. Do your best to you know, utilize them. In the same way, our Lord has endowed us with different kinds of gifts and talents and abilities and resources. And just like what the nobleman in the parable expected from his servants, God fully expects us to put these gifts to work until he returns. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 28:12 that the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain to your land in season and to bless the work of your hands, your productive effort. Now, this is an assurance that if we put our resources, gifts, talents, and abilities to work, there's already a heavenly mandate in place to bless the work of our hands. It is a given that if you work, the work of your hands will be blessed. All you need to do is be productive so that you can activate that blessing. And as we read for our text, from our text, two of the servants actually put in the work to invest the resources, the funds they had been given, the miners they had. And they were thus rewarded handsomely. They got handsome returns for their efforts. And to further buttress the importance of this point, we know from Genesis that the Lord commands us in Genesis 1.28 to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish the earth and subdue it. The Bible also warns of the consequences of not being productive. So, it's either we're productive or we're not, no matter how much or how little the resources we have. And if we are not productive, there are actually consequences. In Matthew 7, 19, the Bible says, every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down into the fire. So that's the consequence of not productively utilizing the little we have been entrusted with. So my prayer for us today is that God will give us the grace to be productive in his vineyard. So remember I said we have three takeaways. Before we go into the third one, I would also like to give us a little bit of an assignment or homework. Uh, at the beginning of this message, I mentioned some other aspects that we can learn from this parable, but because we will not have time to go through all of them, I challenge each and every one of us when we get home in our quiet time to read the passage again and to begin to figure out what other messages are embedded in this passage. You know, messages of stewardship, of obedience, of risk and reward. If you take a risk, you get a reward. No pain, no gain, and so on and so forth. So um, our third takeaway from this parable is how to deal with fear as Christians. Fear should have no place in the heart of a child of God. 
As human beings, fear is a natural emotion. And many times, fear prevents us from doing what we know we can do or what we know we ought to do. So I'm not going to lie to you, I'm afraid right now, but I'm still doing what I have to do. Because I know that fear can cause us not to achieve the, true, the, the, the fullness of our true potential. Right? In Luke 19, 20 to 21, we saw how the third servant was unproductive with his resources. Because in his own words, he was afraid. He was afraid of the nobleman. And for that reason, he couldn't do anything with the resources he had. As children of God, we need to hold on to the assurance in 2 Timothy 1.7 that says that God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Anytime we're afraid, go back and read that passage. As children of God, we need to know that God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity. The lesson for us as Christians is to never allow fear to prevent us from obeying God's commandments. We should never allow fear to prevent us from productively utilizing our talents and skills in serving God. Some of us, you know, in our in private conversations are actually mulling the idea of serving, you know, maybe joining the band or helping out with the welcome team or the children's ministry downstairs or any other department for that matter. We know that we can do it. We know we have the skill sets. We talk about it in private conversation, but we are afraid to summon the courage to actually do it. And the Bible has assured us that we do not have that spirit of fear. So that fear of making that move is not of God because that's not what the Bible tells us. So let's take a cue from today's message and today's text. And also remember that if we do not utilize that talent, the Lord might actually take it away from us. So it's a, it's a use it or lose it scenario. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. So what's the payoff for us as Christians? If we do not let fear stand in our way of actually productively utilizing our God-given talents and abilities while we are waiting for the manifestation of God's kingdom, we will actually receive more blessings. The parable gives us another example in Luke 19, 16 to 19, where the nobleman actually rewards the productive servants with the management of entire cities. You know, essentially elevating them from servants to leaders, all because they did not let fear get in their way of utilizing the miners they had been given. Luke 19, 26 says, I tell you that to Everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away from them. That is a very powerful verse. To everyone who has. So that means if you have one minor, the little you have, if you're productively utilizing it, more will actually be given to you. The way we saw in the passage how that guy that had just one minor, he was asked to give it to the one that had ten. And for you that think you don't have, it's, there's a way God has deposited something in each and every one of us. Some of us might think, oh, I don't have anything to offer. If you think you don't, you should know that as a child of God you actually do. And if you do not utilize it, it will be taken from you and added to that of those who have. And we really don't want that to happen to us. So my prayer for everyone today is that 
as we manage to make the most of what we've been given, uh, the Lord will find us worthy of being entrusted with an increase. 